Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program... Agnes Scott College and the Morehouse School of Medicine, well, they're partnering to help students looking to enter into med school. The goal, eventually to increase diversity within the medical field. Plus, it's called Braven. It's a national nonprofit that helps students navigate the transition from college to a career. And they are collaborating with Spelman College. All those conversations coming up. But first this. Breaking news, some several historically black colleges and universities received bomb threats today. That includes Albany State University right here in Georgia. Now, Albany State has canceled all activities on its campus due to the bomb threat to the academic buildings. In a statement from the university, quote, law enforcement officials are currently investigating the situation. The statement goes on to say that at this time, all campuses, classes, and university operations are canceled until further notice. Employees and commuter students should not report to campus at this time. Dining halls are also closed. We will update you with additional information throughout this hour. In other news, as you just heard on NPR, the son and father convicted of murder in Maude Arbery have reached a plea agreement that could avoid their trial on federal hate crime charges. The proposed plea agreements with Travis and Gregory Michael were filed late Sunday by prosecutors within the U.S. Justice Department. There was no mention of a deal with the third defendant in the case, William Roddy Bryan. The agreements still require the approval of a federal judge. A hearing is scheduled, was scheduled for 10 a.m. earlier this morning. No details were disclosed about the federal deals, which would not affect their state murder conviction, conviction and Arbery's killing. The McMichaels and Bryans were sentenced to life in prison early this month. We're going to dig further into this in just a moment with WABE legal analyst Paige Pate. And also, we'll be sure to ask Paige about this. If these radical, vicious, racist prosecutors do anything wrong or illegal, I hope we are going to have in this country the biggest protest we have ever had in Washington, D.C., in New York, in Atlanta, and elsewhere. That, of course, is former President Donald Trump. He spoke at a rally in Texas this past weekend. Although he didn't mention any names or specific investigations, it was enough for Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis to get to ask for assistance from the FBI. We'll be sure to talk to Paige about that as well. In other news, the renovation plans for a long-neglected Atlanta affordable housing complex is now in jeopardy. WABE Stephanie Stokes reports residents have waited years for improvements to their living conditions. Tenants at the Forest Cove Apartments in southeast Atlanta have complained of rats in their buildings, holes in their floors, and mold in their walls. After five years of delays, a new owner said a complete renovation was coming. Now it's not clear that will happen. According to records obtained by WABE, the state rejected a financing deal that would have made the renovation possible. 
Atlanta City Council member Jason Winston says the city may step in to relocate residents. They deserve adequate, proper housing, and they don't have it right now, and that situation is deteriorating by the day. The apartment's owner, Millennia, says it remains committed to the redevelopment of Forest Cove. The complex is federally subsidized, meaning public dollars make up a portion of the rent. Stephanie Stokes, WABE News. And finally, Georgia Tech's women's basketball team is continuing its winning ways. The 14th-ranked Yellow Jackets beat Clemson yesterday. The team plays next Monday against third-ranked NC State. Meanwhile, the 15th-ranked University of Georgia's women's basketball team beat Mississippi on Sunday. Everybody's balling. They take on Vanderbilt in Athens this Thursday. Not to be outdone, Emory women's team is also having a pretty good year. They're 11-5 through 16 games. Y'all just keep balling out. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. As mentioned, two of the three men convicted of murdering Ahmaud Arbery have reached a plea agreement that could avoid their trial on federal hate crime charges. Now, the proposed plea agreements with Travis and Greg McMichael were filed late Sunday by prosecutors in the U.S. Justice Department. Let's bring in defense attorney and WABE legal analyst Paige Pate for some analysis. Paige, thanks for taking the time. Absolutely. Good to see you, Rose. Any surprise here that the McMichaels uh, reached a plea deal, Paige? I'm surprised at the timing. Normally in federal court, if you're going to resolve a case by a negotiated plea, it's going to happen a lot earlier in the process. Also, a little surprised about the terms of this plea agreement, but maybe we're going to get into that later. Yeah, I want to talk about that. We will, because here's what I think a lot of folks are confused about. The federal hate crimes trial was supposed to get underway in about a week, and you just mentioned the timing of it all. Is that unusual, usual? Well, it's not unusual at all in state criminal cases for there to be a, you know, a plea deal, a resolution of the case right before the trial. Uh, In federal court, it's a little more unusual because generally the government will make its best offer early in the process and the defendant will either take it or reject it. Obviously, there are exceptions to that, but the timing is different in federal court usually than state court. Paige, for our listeners who want to know, and obviously I have questions too, when a judge is considering making this decision, uh, making the approval, what is the, the judge reviewing here? Well, the judge, and I'm going to focus on federal court because it is a bit different than in state court. Almost every plea deal in state court is, you know, this is what the state and the defendant want to do, and the the court either rejects it or accepts it. 99% of the time, the judge is going to accept it in state court. Federal court is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. A federal judge will generally take more time going over the details of the plea agreement And what the judge is looking for is, number one, is it a fair resolution of the charges, both for the defendant and for the public as a whole? 
Um, so the judge is not required to accept what the government uh, brings her, uh, not required to accept it just because the defendants want to do it. Uh, ultimately, the judge is the gatekeeper here. If she doesn't think this is a good deal for the public as a whole, then she's going to reject it. And although we're not clear on what the actual details are, but Page does agree to a plea deal for a federal crime. Does that have any bearing in terms of the convictions for these two have already been they've already been convicted of in terms of where they might serve first? Because if it's federal crime, they have to serve that in a federal institution, correct? Correct. Yeah, this is really strange. Let me start out with that. I mean, I've been practicing federal criminal law for over 25 years, and, and I've not seen anything quite like this. The way it normally works, if you're convicted on state charges before you face a federal charge, then the federal charge, whether it's resolved by a conviction, an acquittal, a plea, does have has no effect whatsoever on the state conviction. Again, what normally happens, you've been convicted in state court, you are temporarily brought into federal court to deal with your case there. And then you're either convicted, acquitted, or a plea deal is reached. But then you go back into state custody to serve your state sentence before mm -hmm. serving any federal sentence. What they're trying to do here is get around that and say, well, don't send them back into state custody, keep them in federal custody, allow them to go serve their federal sentence, and then release them to the state at which point it's possible that the state case um, could basically, or a state judge could give them credit for the time they've served in federal prison off of the state system. So it's very unusual in that regard. And I think that may be a problem that Judge Wood will have with this plea deal. Well, reports are that Ahmaud Arbery's family is not pleased with this deal. That is to be expected. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I've been in both federal prisons and state prisons uh, for purposes of representing my clients, and there is no comparison uh, generally. Uh, the state prison system in Georgia is um, in a very difficult place right now as far as violence, as far as uh, guard to inmate ratio. And, and given the nature of this conviction and these particular defendants, they would have had a very, very rough time, I predict, in state prison. Mm -hmm. Federal prison, a little bit different story. Uh, Paige, we want to talk about the third defendant, although it doesn't mention William Ronnie Bryan. Uh, odds are that he, perhaps that maybe he's going to go ahead with his hate crime federal trial. I, I would assume so. If the judge is going to consider a plea in the Southern District of Georgia, and that's where the case is pending, the judge wants to see what was filed yesterday by the government, a notice of intent to change plea. So we haven't seen that from Mr. Bryan, so that would suggest he's going forward with his trial. And Paige, before we move on to some other legal news here, you're not the judge, but through your lens, how do you see this playing out for the McMichaels? Well, you know, her first concern is, will the deal be a fair resolution of the federal case? And if they're agreeing to spend 30 years in federal custody, I think that's a fair resolution of the federal case. Mm -hmm. The second thing, again, this is a big deal in federal court. Will she be bound by the terms of that agreement? Most of the time in federal court, you go in, you've got to deal with the government, but that deal doesn't bind the judge. So the government may say, OK, you plead guilty. We're going to recommend the judge do these things, but the judge doesn't have to do it. So she could actually accept the plea today, but then sentence them to something that they are not expecting. Mm -hmm. uh, Come, come time for actual sentencing hearing, which is not going to be today. It would be late. Uh, Paige, I want to move on to some other legal news, and I want to air that clip again if we have it uh, from our news brief. And 
President, former President Donald Trump in a rally this past weekend made references to some of the some of the open investigations. Let's take a listen to that again. If these radical, vicious, racist prosecutors do anything wrong or illegal, I hope we are going to have in this country the biggest protest we have ever had in Washington, D.C., in New York, in Atlanta and elsewhere. Page. Is that not, couldn't that be considered tampering, interfering? I mean, this is. Yes. I mean, he was very careful, I think, (laughs) sounds strange to say, but he was somewhat careful about his language, at least avoiding uh, an obvious case for obstruction. And obstruction here in the state of Georgia is different from federal obstruction. We don't need to get into all that. But yes, he's putting his thumb right in the middle of this investigation. I think uh, Ms. Willis was right to notify the Department of Justice, the FBI, about this and the potential security concern. What I'm interested to see is whether the DOJ will take any action, because in a way, what he said could be considered as obstruction in the federal investigation into the January 6th activity. So it's a problematic statement to make. Let's remember he's no longer president. So they can prosecute him on the state level, the federal level, the local level if they wanted to. There's no bar to that at this point. What do you make of of this page? I mean, we've had so many conversations regarding uh, former President Donald Trump. Uh, but well, two things to, uh, my, I'm taking away from this. Number one is Donald Trump doesn't know anything about Fonnie Willis because if he thinks she is going to be intimidated or encouraged or persuaded in any way whatsoever. The opposite is true. Um, So I I think this message from her, uh, even though it's just in a letter to DOJ, I think it's also a message to President Trump and anyone else who's in his camp that she's not playing around. And I I think if this was not going to be a criminal case, she may not have come out as strongly. But I think in her mind right now, and again, this is just a prediction, but I could see her moving forward with something relatively soon. And we should note that Fulton judges did approve Willis's request for a special grand Jury, where do you see this going? And, and if you are former President Donald Trump, should you be concerned? I think so. Uh, the potential charges here, though, I, I see misdemeanors as being the obvious one, again, interfering with the election. Most of our state statutes covering that conduct, it's a misdemeanor. Um, the felony charges, you know, potential racketeering, uh, conspiracy, that's going to be a little bit more difficult to prove. But yes, I mean, if you're looking at criminal prosecution, you need to be concerned. Now, how long it's going to take? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it depends on what she does with this special grand jury. Is she going to start from zero and, and bring every witness that she's going to use into the special grand jury You know, do all the subpoenas? Well, I mean, I don't even think it's going to start until May. So we could be looking at some time. Mm. WABE legal analyst and defense attorney, not our defense attorney, but he is a defense attorney. I will be if you need it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, don't say that, Paige. Well, <laughs> good to know WABE has a defense attorney and Paige Paige. Thank you so much for taking the time as always, Paige. We appreciate you bringing such great analysis to these stories. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. And you're listening to Closer Look here on 90.1 WABE, Amplifying Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. 
Agnes Scott College and the Morehouse School of Medicine announced a new partnership aimed at helping students transition from college to med school. Now, we know that sometimes that often can be time and labor intensive. We know that. And now these two institutions are coming together. Joining me now for more, we have Dr. Joseph Tyndall, Executive Vice President for the Health Affairs and, and Dean of the Morehouse School of Medicine, and Kelly Ball, who's Associate Dean for Graduate Studies at Agnes Scott College. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Good to be with you today, Rose. Let's uh, get a little backstory here. How did all this come about? Sure. So um, a couple years ago, Dean Erica Sutton, the Dean of Undergraduate Medical Education at Morehouse School of Medicine, reached out to me um, really saying our Agnes Scott students are just wonderful. And how can we further that, that relationship? And from there, our conversations went in a number of directions to develop both this early commitment program for our undergraduate students and a linkage program for our post-baccalaureate students. Dr. Tenno, what do you want to add to that about this partnership and the importance of it? So this, this is a really terrific partnership. And I have to say that when I arrived uh, at Morehouse in July, I heard about the opportunity uh, for these two institutions to really get together and focus on, I think, something that's really important um, as part of Morehouse School of Medicine's mission. Uh, and I think that the work done uh, both uh, by uh, Dean Sutton and also by Dr. Bale Ball was really extraordinary. Um, this was very much needed, um, and it's a way for uh, us to be able to open up opportunity for so many more students um, who want to pursue the practice of medicine. Dr. Tindall, let me stay with you uh, for a moment. What does this process normally look like? Think back to when you were a student and making that transition. Uh, what were some of your concerns or challenges? Well, that was a long time ago. Oh, but you still remember. <laughs> of course I do remember. I will tell you, uh, not a lot has changed. Um, the process is arduous. It's difficult. It's nerve-wracking oftentimes in preparation uh, because the thresholds oftentimes are so high simply just to get in. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say that um, these kinds of programs um, offer... Uh, substantive opportunities. Uh, one, uh, not just to present an early offering to those students, but oftentimes to present an opportunity to connect earlier um, with the uh, actual curriculum. Uh, and so you're better prepared oftentimes. And, and as you might also understand uh, now what is uh, very common and, and somewhat actually common back then when I was applying um, is to have a gap year or a glide year mm -hmm. where you actually would uh, spend time uh, preparing, studying and doing these sorts of things. Um, and that oftentimes could be good. As a matter of fact, right now it's quite popular. Um, but the sort of early offer oftentimes, both for the linkage program, the graduate students, also the early commitment program, will allow students to actually uh, bypass that process uh, and, and come directly into medical school. Let me ask you, did you take a glide year? I did, actually. Um, and uh, I did an, a number of interesting things. I, I uh, uh, was a nursing assistant and I, and I used that time. I also um, I was an amateur musician. And so I, I used uh, some of that time also to generate a, a little bit of cash to get myself uh, uh, through to medical school. Now I have uh, to ask, what, what, right. what, what were you a singer? What, what instrument? Oh, no, no, no. You wouldn't want me to sing. Were but, you, were but, you uh, in a I band? Were you in a piano. funk band? Oh, were you yeah. like parliament? No, no, I, 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 uh, I played the piano and uh, was, uh, you know, doing gigs around Washington, D.C. for various people and functions. And it was a it was a good year. It actually was a quite quite a good year. 
either one of you can answer this. What do you hear from students when they are in this transition period? Uh, what do you hear from them? What are the concerns that they have? And, and I, Kelly, I'll ask you as well. Sure. I hear excitement. I hear so much excitement and so much energy, um, especially as they navigate uncertainty. They don't know where they'll be admitted. There's obviously anxiety about that and excitement, but our students are so well qualified. Over 90% of them are admitted into medical school in their first cycle, which we're incredibly proud of. And it really is a testament to, to Agnes Scott and the opportunities they have here. But, you know, it's it's such a hard time being a senior in high being a senior in college, being a post-bac student where you've given up your your life and your profession to come back and focus on gaining the knowledge you need to go to medical school. And you've already invested so much, so many hours. And not having an answer yet in front of you mm-hmm. can be very scary. But there's also just it's such an exciting time. Dr. Tenney, what about you? What do you hear from students in this? So I, I hear very much the same thing. And uh, what I would say that it's it's there's clearly excitement, but it's you know it's a mix of emotions. I mean, there's excitement, there's a bit of anxiety. Um, this is a huge step. It's a big commitment for students to actually do this. Um, but one of the things I would say, I mean, this is especially true of the students who go through the post-bac programs. Um, they give up so much to focus in medicine. And the stories you hear about these students, how much they've sacrificed and what they've actually done to get through the doors of a medical school program and to graduate is, is unbelievable. And one of the things that I recognize for the students who come to Morehouse School of Medicine is exactly that. Their stories are amazing uh, in terms of what they've had to do and overcome and the level of commitment and just sheer force of perseverance uh, to get through the doors is just a heartwarming story. And so this program, which is designed for third year undergraduate students, correct? Correct. Well, they, they are two programs, and, mm-hmm. and Dr. Ball will, will, will also uh, chime in on this. Uh, there's an early commitment program, uh, which is really focused for uh, at uh, third-year undergraduate students, mm-hmm. um, getting them into the pathway to medical school early on. But there's another program. It's a linkage program. And that program really is focused on post-bacs and graduate students. Um, and these are students who are not coming through the typical normal pathways, uh, but again, they are doing um, you know an extra series of, of work and some study uh, to get into um, medical school. Um, And that's a separate group, obviously. But both programs um, are part of this uh, actual collaboration. Mm. Kelly, what do you want to add to that? I think Dr. Tyndall um, described it perfectly. So the students that we're seeing, um, really high achieving students all around, despite coming from these different pathways. And what Dr. Tyndall said about the perseverance of these students is something that we're we're really excited to see supported by this by this partnership. The students already have given up so much, um, and to be able to bypass that glide year mm-hmm. um, and go straight into medical school, knowing how they're already so convicted and so convinced that this is the path for them, is really an advantage. And does this mean they will have extra or additional support resources? What exactly will y'all be offering in this transition here? For these students? So yes, um, there are a number of things I think that come to play here. 
One is that with this offering, um, we have the ability to actually provide students early exposures to programs, uh, provide them opportunities that they might uh, not necessarily obtain. And a matter of fact, as we look at this program, um, we look at these programs and, and evolution in terms of what really works best. Um, and, and, and part of that is what are those early opportunities we need to provide students um, in order to maximize their success in, in really very difficult curriculums when they actually get to medical school school. Um, that has to be a significant part of what we do. Does this mean also that, that uh, specific faculty and staff will have additional duties or they will be there as well for students? Will there be any additional faculty hired just to help in this with this transition here? We're always looking, uh, Rose, for, for additional faculty to support these kinds of programs. And we'll continue to look um, because one of the things that you um, may understand is Morehouse School of Medicine is really continuing to expand um, um, offering to students and frankly speaking, expand class size. But, but what it really means uh, more importantly is commitment that our faculty um, are absolutely committed to ensuring that these students get the best possible experience. Um, and so beyond the issue of extra, um, I, I think the commitment is really what counts here uh, with regards to this program. And Kelly, for those students at Agnes Scott College, when will all this start for them? When will they be able to start applying? What's the inter Is there an interview process here? Yes, there is. And we're actually, we're thrilled to be able to pilot this partnership this year. So our, our admission team and our advisement team, the admission team at Morehouse and the advisement office at Agnes Scott are working together to build out that process and have a pilot process this year. Um, but it'll go into full effect next year. And just to echo what uh, Dr. Tyndall commented, it's really the growth is tremendous. We've seen so much growth in our post-bac program Agnes Scott's investing in health professions programs and growing new programs to support students because the, the demand for these pathways is very strong. And of course, the ability to hire and retain talented faculty, staff to support these students will be critical. Is there a limit to the number of students you all want to accept in this in the inaugural phase here? Well, as you might imagine, uh, we, we do start slowly and we start small. Um, but the point is that uh, as we grow as a program, as we work all the kinks out um, of, of this particular program, we intend to expand it. Uh, offering these pipeline opportunities and, and pathway opportunities for students is really key. Um, from my perspective here at the Morehouse School of Medicine, these kinds of programs become the future um, of our institution and our ability to actually move forward in delivering uh, health and education. Dr. Tendo, that was my next question. How important are programs like this? Because you mentioned the uh, keyword pipeline, getting a more diverse candidate pool, folks in the pipeline when we talk about health and wellness and especially health care in this nation. Uh, Dr. Ball, what do you want to add to that? I would say these linkages, these pipelines are critical to that work. Obviously, both Agnes Scott and Morehouse School of Medicine are committed to supporting underrepresented groups in medicine and healthcare, um, supporting those students to become medical professionals. Um, you know, and I think the role that these programs play is critical. Um, this particular program has a, we're looking for students who have a commitment to underserved populations commitment to Georgia and a strong dedication to community service. Um, so this, this will really help those students who already have that commitment. Dr. Tender, we know that this had, has been at the core since the Morehouse School of Medicine institution was founded 
decades ago. That has been the core mission there. And when you look at the current state that we're all in, which is this pandemic, it's it's even more clear the importance of having a diverse population and also having black physicians, a, a black clinical workforce, particularly uh, when you look at what's happening now, we keep hearing that there is a shortage of, of black males entering med school. Absolutely. I mean, a matter of fact, if you look at the nation right now, less than 3% of the physician workforce are black males. And when you look at the data from the WMC between 1978 and I think 2014, the actual number of applications actually went down from black males. Right? Why do you think that is, Dr. Tyndall? Well, you know, uh, there's so many reasons, but part of it is really an issue of access, issue of role modeling, an issue of uh, providing the opportunities for young minds to be able to do this sort of thing. You know, one of the reasons that I was so attracted to, to uh, you know, continuing this part of my career here at Morehouse School of Medicine was the opportunity to partner and to really build on extraordinary programs here in terms of partnerships and pipelines and pathway programs uh, to build this workforce of the future, right? And, and this is really, I think, extraordinarily important work for all the reasons you actually pointed out. Um, we need to be able to expand on the diversity of our workforce in order to be able to provide better and more culturally competent care. And in order to do that, we need to have a diverse group of uh, students coming through our programs. Dr. Ball, what do you want to add to that? Yeah, I would add that this is part of what makes the partnership such a strong one. Agnes Scott, of course, is a historically women's college. Um, and so the early commitment program will, will continue to support that. As an institution as a whole, we have no racial majority at our school, which we're incredibly proud of. Um, so supporting that racially and ethnically diverse student body and economically diverse student body is, is key to having that representation in medical fields. Our post-bac program also has um, an incredible, incredible balance of, of gender diversity. Mm -hmm. We have, um, you know, forget the exact numbers off the top of my head, but it's a fairly even split between men and women. And we have a growing population of students that identify as non-binary and all those populations are so important to have represented in the health profession. Do you all know if there are other institutions throughout the nation that have a partnership like this? Absolutely. And I think that uh, many institutions across the country have, have looked at and invested in these kinds of partnerships and pipeline programs connected to uh, undergraduate missions um, or themselves, obviously, in uh, institutions that have medical schools have uh, really uh, focused on early acceptance programs to shorten the period of time where students actually study to become physicians. Uh, and so I, I think, yes, it's important. Uh, and I think that uh, a lot of folks have invested, but what's very clear is that we have to invest more in these kinds of programs uh, because we're not there when it comes to equity and diversity of our workforce yet. So there's still a lot of work to do. And I think these kinds of programs are going to really get us there. And Dr. Ball, what's the response been like so far over at Agnes Scott College? The phone has been ringing off the hook. <laughs> Students are so excited. Parents are so excited. Alums are so excited. Um, there's just been so much enthusiasm. And so we we are just ready to support students who are seeking this path, who are going down this path, who are already there, let's be honest, who are already doing the work and ready to ready to apply this spring. 
Kelly Ball is Associate Dean for Graduate Studies at Agnes Scott. I was also joined by Dr. Joseph Tindall, Executive Vice President for Health Affairs and Dean of the Morehouse School of Medicine. We're talking about a new program that's going to help students looking to enter into med school, making that transition. Thank you both for taking the time. Good information. Dr. Tindall, I still think you got some you got some musical talents there. You're just not telling us. Well, that will be for another time. It was good to be with you today. Thank you both. Take care. Thank, Thank you, you. Russ. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE Amplifying Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Just had a conversation with senior producer Sam Whitehead about our first jobs after we graduated from college. Now, take a, you'll hear in just a moment in different career paths, obviously. Uh, take a moment. Think about the day after you graduated from college. If you weren't continuing on to grad school or something like that, did you have a job lined up in your chosen career? I did not. Now, Sam went to work for, may I tell folks? Where, sure, yeah. Sam went to work for Airbnb. I went to work for Sherrod Forest Camp in Lesterville, Missouri for the summer to figure it all out. And nothing. It took me a little bit longer. <laughs> but it all worked out. And look at me now. Anyway, I wish the national nonprofit Braven was around back then. I could have, my father would have really appreciated as well. The organization's mission is to help college students on a path to economic mobility. He really would have appreciated that. And now Braven is providing programming for Spelman College as part of Spelman Pathways, creating your path to life and career excellence initiative. And joining me now with more about this is the Braven Atlanta Executive Director, Shay Watkins. Shay, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Rose. It's so good to be with you again today. What was your first uh, job after college? My first job was at J.P. Morgan on Wall Street doing accounting. Okay, that's enough. (laughs) J.P. Morgan, I went to summer camp. (laughs) Go ahead, finish. I I I was in accounting theory and policy, and I was definitely one of the lucky ones that knew that I wanted to be in business and enjoyed accounting and happened upon a program that allowed me to work at JP Morgan and uh, go to NYU to get my MBA. So, and of course you were listening to some of the conversation in the previous segment where again, we're talking about pipelines, programs, partnerships, all this is so important for folks not familiar with Braven. Give a little overview of this organization. How long y'all been around? We've been around since 2013. The organization was started by Amiu Banks Davis, um, and she did a lot of work with Teach for America and started to see and track some of the students that she had been working with to see where they ended up. And one of the things that she realized is that college education is really seen as the first class ticket to the American dream. We tell students, go to college, get good grades, and when you come out, you will be very, very successful. Mm -hmm. But 1.3 million low-income and first-generation students go to college, but only about 30% of them obtain a strong first job. In addition, women of color typically enter the workplace making half of what their white male counterparts make. Mm -hmm. And so the goal of Braven is to work with colleges and universities in the country and provide them with a pathway or a bridge between the higher education that students are getting and to career paths and employment and grad school opportunities. 
And how many university partners do y'all have? We have five university partners currently, and Spelman College is the fifth university partner starting. We just started two weeks ago. Is Spelman the first HBCU? Yes, we are the first HBCU. Typically, our partners are larger public colleges with a couple of uh, smaller uh, partners that we work with, but Spelman is the first HBCU. And what is it about Spelman that you all felt this would be a good partnership in terms of providing this programming? Absolutely. Well, I noted the difference in, in the wage gap for women of color. Um, and Spelman, the QEP program, the quality program that they put together, really focuses on career pathways. And they provided us with an opportunity to come in and provide our programming for every single sophomore. Um, it is a credit bearing course and it is a 15 week course and students go through the course and get all of the support they need in terms of moving towards a pathway of success. Our ultimate goal is to close the wage gap and make sure that students have the opportunities that are out there, they have access, they know about them, and we give them opportunities to get there. And this is available to all the sophomores? Every single sophomore we will work with year over year. So the first semester that we work with them will be the three, the credit bearing course where we take, we build their confidence, we build their professional portfolio, we provide them interview skills, we allow them to build their story and learn how to tell their story to employer partners. And they get into a project team and have a consulting project that they will work on at the end of the course with an employer partner in the area. And after they finish that course, we work with them one-on-one -on -one to expose them to various industries in the area. We make sure that they have strong internship opportunities starting after the completion of sophomore year. And then we work with them junior and senior year to continue to build their skills, continue to build their portfolio, moving them towards um, a strong first job. When you talk about the other institutions that you all have worked with, I imagine there's so many success stories here, Shay. There are, especially when you look at first generation students that may not have had um, the exposure to some of these skills that they're building. We have really seen a number of our students and we've worked with about 3000 students so far, really take to the Braven course and they're appreciative of having the direction and the focus um, and having extra hands to help them move through the process. I mean, some of these institutions are very large. So, you know, we come in as a support system to the colleges and universities to provide um, an extra hands-on support to the students to make sure that they do get these internship opportunities, to make sure they do have a mentor in the industry that they're interested in. And my focus is, is making sure that Spelman women know everything that's out there and available to them so that they can make informed choices about what they want to do in the future. Well, even with a, a smaller institution like Spelman, I mean, and the sophomores, will, you, they, will each student have a, a, like a specialty counselor for them or will you have a group of folks that will work with all the students? Sure, we have, um, we are working with 466 students right now and we break those students into smaller cohorts of eight to 11 students and they receive guidance from what we call a leadership coach. 
And we recruit those coaches from every industry, every company, every nonprofit, every organization. A large portion of them obviously are Spelman alumni, which we are very excited about and really help them um, on a collective basis to build these skills. And then they come back together as a larger group and learn things. And then once they finish, they do get individualized support to be able to move them forward. One of the questions we asked when we started was how many of you have a summer internship opportunity lined up? Mm -hmm. And so we have the list of students and we will start to um, talk to them and engage with them and make sure that they have something career advancing to do for the summer. The voice you hear is Shay Watkins. She's the Braven Atlanta Executive Director. We're talking about a new program with Spelman College and Braven as part of Spelman Pathways, Creating Your Path to Life and Career Excellence Initiative. My goodness, I wish I were around when I was a sophomore <laughs> in college. Let me ask you, what's been the feedback so far from, I guess, the, the leaders at the institutions that you all have been working with in the past? What did they tell you? What do they notice about the students? Y'all call them Braven Fellows. Yes. They notice that the, the students are much more focused um, once they go through the accelerator program and they're very clear that this is another part of being in college, right? You definitely have to go to class. You definitely have to get good grades, but you also need to start thinking really early on about what you want to do and where you want to go. And providing guidance for those students is what we really are striving for. And what I hope that we get from Braven in Atlanta is the business community talks very specifically about looking for diverse pipelines. Mm -hmm. They talk about wanting to keep the talent that we have here in Atlanta in Atlanta from all of these institutions. So we're trying to make sure that we do that for the business community as well. What are you looking for from the business community in terms of those partners, those folks who are going to come in? Because you and I both know folks can talk about diversity and inclusion, but then actually being part of execution and implementation and, and having a probable outcome. Well, that can be a whole different <laughs> set of, of issues, they would, they would say. So what are you looking for? Because a lot of people are... Call Brave and call Shay Watkins right now. She's on Rose Scott show and she's talking about this. And they're like, they're calling you and you're like, well, hold up. You know, what have you been doing thus far? Do you take them through some type of assessment? And I'm going to oh, get absolutely. emails about this, but I don't care. Absolutely. When we look to partner with an employer, we talk to them about three different things. One, yes, we can provide you with a diverse pipeline. We can provide you um, with access to the students. But what we want you to do is show the students what your organization is about. Where are you on diversity, equity, and inclusion? How will you support them once you get through the door? So yes, we will definitely help you with that, but we also require some things from the employer partner. Secondly, we give them an opportunity to volunteer with us. Hmm. They can be employers that can be leadership coaches. They can help us on mock interview night. So you get to see and engage with the student population in um, a more comfortable way. And then finally, the volunteer opportunities that we have really do help from a leadership and development perspective in terms of developing the employees that you have. So there's a number of ways to get um, engaged with us. Um, and also, there's a lot of companies right now that are talking about making investments from a social impact perspective. And this is one way that they can do it. You're talking about it as well. Now, we've been in this pandemic now going head into a third year. Has this hindered you all how you present this programming? 
Actually, this entire program is online. It is virtual. We uh, do the course on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights from, um, from six to eight. So all of our leadership coaches, volunteers, Brave and staff, the students were all online. Um, but one of the things that we have seen is that this pandemic has taken a toll on the students. Mm -hmm. And we are definitely trying to make sure that we provide them with any support that we can um, as they're um, trying to come out of this pandemic and get back to some sense of normalcy. I have a listener who wants to know, is this mandatory for all sophomores? Because her daughter's a freshman. She wants to make sure she gets in there. <laughs> who sent that to me? I know who sent that. <laughs> yes, to the to the credit of Spellman and Dr. Campbell, this is mandatory for every sophomore. So we look forward to working with her daughter in the in the next semester. <laughs> I, I would call her daughter out, but then she would be mad at Auntie Rose, and I don't want to do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now let me ask you this: I, it, the students that are interested in journalism, now who who y'all got over there for that? I am very anxious to do an, a journalism industry panel. I actually was talking to Eric at the AJC. Uh, Eric Stergis? Yes, absolutely. Oh, Eric. Eric don't know nothing. No, I'm just kidding. Eric's a great guy. He's a friend of mine. <laughs> but, but like I said, I think that students just aren't aware of the different opportunities and they don't know how to get started. True. So internship opportunities with, I mean, who wouldn't want to be the intern of Rose Scott on A Closer Look? Who, who wouldn't want, want to? <laughs> <laughs> you just let us know what you need and we will, we'll make it work. Trust me on that. Absolutely. So, you know, if there are opportunities, we will um, share those with the students and make sure that they get uh, funneled to those opportunities so that they, especially for your internships, that's when you really want to explore different things that you may be interested um, to figure out if that's something that you want to do in the future. You know, much like the segment we just had uh, with the Morehouse School of Medicine and Agnes Scott, and again, talking about pathways and programs that are so important. And we talk about these at, at the undergraduate level. I just want to get your opinion. Also, too, do you think even starting earlier, if possible, not just in high school, but maybe even middle and elementary school as well, to keep our keep kids interested in certain industries, even if they're not sure, but to keep them on track so we don't lose them along the way. Absolutely. And I think the number one priority is exposure. They just need to know what options are out there so that they don't have a limited view about what they think they can do. Um, so exposure is definitely key. And the earlier you engage with students, the better always. Um, and just making sure that they are really, really clear that you don't have to decide at age five what you want to do when you grow up. There are so many things out there that we can provide you access to. Now, you're going to get a lot of phone calls after this segment from other institutions. I know you all wish you could partner with as many as possible, but uh, I'm curious, your funding, where does it come from? Our funding comes from our employer partners, from our college partners, from foundations, individual donors. So yes, it is a, an expensive proposition to be able to do this at every school, but Braven is growing and we, get, we have these conversations all the time. I definitely want to explore conversations with other institutions here locally. And I also, you know, my dream is why can't we have Braven at every HBCU? Um, so we're working on it. We're growing fast, but we want to make sure that Spelman gets everything that it needs to make sure we're successful. Oh, you done started something now. Come to emails.
Shay, as we wrap up, are there any areas that you all need more partners in? I mean, we, we, we're we having fun talking about journalism, but and earlier we were talking about, obviously, the med school. Are there any other areas that you all really need partnerships within? Absolutely. We definitely want to make sure that students know all aspects of the technology field, the different things that they can do there. I want them to be exposed to the logistics field which is very, very big here in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. uh, commercial real estate is here um, in Atlanta in a big way. Sustainability, philanthropy. There's so many different industries where you don't see African-American um, st students go into. We want to change that. And we want to provide students with access to those opportunities. Uh, I have a listener that, has a, that just sent in something that says FinTech question mark. FinTech, absolutely. Absolutely huge industry here. So we're going to try to get out there and make sure that we talk to everybody about um, this partnership and making sure that those industries expose themselves to these students. And Shay, why do you do this work? Oh my goodness. So I did workforce development before and it was really around economic stability. My, I have honed my passion and my passion is around mobility. Mm -hmm. And it is around making sure that we close this wage and income gap. And this is Spelman. This is my alma mater. Uh, uh, of course I it is. That's what I was getting at. <laughs> <laughs> I graduated in 1991. So I feel like this is a full circle moment. This is not a job for me. This is a mission. Um, and I am so excited to be a part of Braven and to be a part of this partnership. Uh, Shay Watkins, she's the Braven Atlanta Executive Director. We're talking about a new partnership. They're going to be pro providing programming within Spelman College as part of Spelman Pathways, Creating Your Path to Life and Career Excellence Initiative. You want to go ahead and shout out some of your favorite Spelman professors and faculty and staff and all those folks over there? I don't want to get in trouble, but I will give a shout out to Dr. Vanetta Coleman, who runs the QEP program at Spelman and has done an amazing job. So thank you, Vanetta, for your partnership. See, nothing wrong with that. Shay, <laughs> <laughs> Shay, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And we're serious. Let us know what we can do. We would love to have a Spelman student as part of our Closer Look team as a, an intern. Let me work on it. All right. Shay, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Rose. Good to be with you. I think our interns will have a great time over here, right, Sam? Yeah, great place to work. Sam says it's a great place to work. And I had donuts this morning. Yeah. That's it for this edition of Closer Look. Sam Whitehead is our senior producer. Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel are our other producers. Kevin Rinker, he's our engineer. Reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, as you all love to do, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash closerlook. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Thank you to everyone who emailed me to tell us that womb wombats are not indeed in Georgia. They are in Australia, which is what we thought. So we appreciate that. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, just go back and listen to last Friday's show. That's what we're here for. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.